Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Donald Trump has gone nuts again. And uh, by the way, welcome to our program, all of you who actually love our country and care about its fate and future, unlike, you know, the twits over at Fox News. Your thoughts on all this, this this uh, weird strategy that Trump is following. He was leaving to go to John Paul Stevens's funeral and did a little press scrum and said that uh, the squad are all racists. Right. I mean, this is class. This is what George Wallace used to say. Those black people who are calling me a racist, they're the real racists. I mean, literally, it's what George Wallace used to say. This is a David Duke. You know, I debated David Duke on this program probably eight or ten years ago, and he accused me of being a racist. Hey, you're willing to talk about race. You're willing to accuse people like me of being a racist. That makes you a racist. This is exactly what Trump is doing right now. Is it going to work? Or is it going to work if Democrats make the centerpiece of their campaign, calling him a racist and saying, that's not who we are? I think that there's a lot to be said for that. Corey in Galisteo, New Mexico. Hey, Corey, what's on your mind? We've been dealing with so much fear that is promoted by the president. And, you know, that seems to be a lot of how he motivates his base. And I'm just hoping that we can get to a place in the primaries and whatnot where we actually have a chance to nominate the person that we want and that we are not being driven by fear and being told that we only have one choice to beat Trump. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. And the whole context of what I was talking about was candidate free. This strategy could be be run by any candidate. You know, I mentioned Elizabeth Warren is having lots and lots of policies. Everybody's got lots and lots of policies and, you know, and they're, and they're trying to run on policy. But but I think that the candidate who is most aggressive in attacking Trump as being fundamentally anti-American because he's such a racist uh, is the candidate who's probably going to beat Trump. I'm looking forward to this unfolding, and I hope it can un- unfold in an organic way yeah. and that we don't just get, you know, rounded up into some fear mentality of yeah. having to choose one person. But I'm going to jump off and hear what everybody else has to okay, say. So I'm, thank you for taking my call. Sure. I thank you for the call. Corey, I agree with you. Daniel in uh, Irvine, California. Hey, Daniel, what's up? So I recently heard you on a podcast with 
Ralph Nader, where you guys talked about how to handle Trump, mm -hmm. and you mentioned to metaphorically kick him in the nut. Yeah, it was kind of funny because he, he said, you know, okay, you know, you were a psychotherapist. What's your prescription for treating Trump? And I, and I said, well, as we learned in psychotherapy school, when you confront a bully, you kick him in the nuts. Uh, anyhow, yeah, yeah, back to right. you, Daniel. By calling him a criminal and et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And all of the stuff he's done. And Ralph Nader even, I think, mentioned nicknames. But even if the message is right, will it reach the right amount of people and the right people? Well, I think it depends on how the message is delivered. Uh, you know, the Trump campaign has figured out that delivering messages filled with lies, even. I mean, you know, this whole women for Trump thing, literally every single ad that they're and they're spending millions of dollars. I mean, he he's spending a million dollars a day on, on Facebook right now and and has been for over a year now. Their campaign, you know, of lies on Facebook has, you know, was successful in 2016, and they're betting that it's going to be successful again in 2020. And I think, frankly, it is. I mean, what we're seeing is Trump's numbers going up with certain groups, and I think it's going up with those groups who are getting these messages delivered to them via Facebook. Hispanics are getting messages delivered to them from the Trump campaign that, by and large, says that Democrats want to kill babies, and, and you know, if you're Catholic, you can't vote for a Democrat. And and um, and and African Americans are getting. Um, messages delivered to them from the Trump campaign on Facebook, sometimes, you know, not even being identified as uh, Democrats want open borders so that all these people from south of the border can come in and take your job. And, and you know, African-Americans have for, you know, centuries just been trying to achieve job parity, you know, with whites. And so these are powerful messages that that, you know, they're delivering under the radar screen. I think that it will work for Democrats if they if they take a, a page, and thanks for the call, if they take a page out of that playbook and start using Facebook aggressively and other social media to promote this stuff. Tim in uh, Beaverton, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's up? I have a printout in my hand right now, and it's from the Southern Poverty Law Center, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. And it says, active hate groups at all-time high. It says 1,020 active hate groups Ku Klux Klan, neo-Nazi. I mean, this this is what's working for that guy. Yeah, it, it it's gone exponential since since Obama was in office. You know. Yeah. And one of the real key characteristics. I was in sales and marketing for thirty five years, and I was in the auto industry for most of that. I've been in the same neighborhood for twenty nine years. You can imagine what I've seen. I've seen families grow up. I'm the last original owner, and the complacency aspect is really hurting the liberal vote in this country because a lot of people in my neighborhood are decent people but they're living paycheck to paycheck and they don't have any interest in politics it's scary yeah. only two people out of 22 homes take a daily newspaper wow. they don't want to know what's going on it's scary you know, yeah really and i think i think for some people they're just overwhelmed yeah you know, they are it, because it, they're it, trying to keep a roof over their head right exactly I mean? a member of my family has just said you know no more news i can't handle it anymore it's, it's you got it's it right on the money there yeah. and what, what's happening and a lot of people don't really understand this is that there's two key elements to any society period housing and transportation obama turned both those around if you remember in 2012 with romney and the republicans they were campaigning on letting the the auto industry go bankrupt right Right. They turned that around, and you know what it did? It created it, it created mi millions of jobs. It was the most the most successful auto industry we've ever had. I was in it for twenty years. I know yeah. how it works. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so, no, I, I'm I, I'm with you, and and this has to be the message. Thank you very much for the call, Tim. Spot on. Will in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Will, what's up? Hey, obviously, the racism thing is a, is obviously a big big deal. I, I I actually would like. I think Democrats still should go back to simple FDR. And if I had to make a bumper sticker, it would simply be this. FDR was a democratic socialist. It is as simple as that. Yeah. Vote FDR. 
the racism is a big deal. I get that. I actually don't think anybody other than a, maybe a teeny weeny number of people that would generally vote Democrat are going to fall for it. I, I think it's pretty obvious to anybody with a working, you know. Yeah, and right. FDR called them out. Sean, bring up the 360 here. This is uh, FDR. I mean. Never before in all our history have these forces been so united against one candidate as they stand today. They are unanimous in their hate for me, and I welcome their hatred. There you go. <laughs> you know, I'm looking for a Democrat to sound like that. Me too. Me yeah. too. Okay, thanks a lot, Will. Joe in Albany, New York. Hey, Joe, what's up? He was given $2 billion in free advertising by the major corporations. Yep, by the media. That's an unbelievable amount of money to think that we can beat him. America isn't that aware of what's going on in politics. And what they're fed on corporate television, they believe most of it. They've made billions on him since they got him elected. How much are they going to give him in the next election, and how do we beat him? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, is the Les Moonves mentality still driving corporate television? And frankly, I think it is. You know, where Les Moonves was the head of CBS, and he said Trump may be terrible for America, but he's great for CBS. Keep it up, Donald. Spot on, Joe. And I think he's going to get probably get a billion dollars a year worth of free publicity. The problem, though, is when it's uncritical publicity. We need to be openly, clearly calling him out for being a racist. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. Because not only is that what he is and has been his whole entire life, back from all the way back in, in the 70s when he was first charged by the government with being a racist, that's who he's calling out to. Richard in Kirkland, Washington. Hey, Richard, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? Good morning. I have a bumper sticker for everyone, I hope. Okay. Together we stand. Together we stand, yeah. I think it covers the de- over socialism. It covers a lot of stuff, and it starts a debate, starts a conversation. We need messaging. I had a question for you. How do the Democrats get their message out? I see these shows every day, and on Sundays, the Republicans are on the same page almost word for word. Right. How do they get their message out, like by email or well, text? Or this how is, do they do it? This is one of the problems. I mean, the Democratic Party, because the financial base of the Democratic Party, which was unions, has been reduced from a third of the American workforce down to 6% in the private sector, the money that unions used, and, and the Supreme Court has severely limited the ability of unions even to support political candidates. So because of that, the Democratic Party is basically trying to run campaigns with bailing wire and bubblegum. And the Republicans are driving brand new Lexuses, you know, to mangle a metaphor. They've got all this money from right-wing billionaires and right-wing foundations, the Scaife Foundation, the Coors Foundation, and others, Koch brothers and their network. You know, they've got all these high-priced, high-paid consultants. And, you know, when they say to the Republican candidates, this is what you do, the Republican candidates salute and say, sir, yes, sir. And but is there a central exchange or something? It seems like they're actually word for word almost yeah. all the time. Oh, I used to be on the email list for the Daily Memo, for the Daily Talking Points. Now, this was back in, in during the first Bush administration, the first four years of the George W. Bush administration. And then they took, I don't know if they took me off the list or if they simply stopped sending it out, but I used to get the Daily Talking Points for the Republicans. That, to the best of my knowledge, nothing like that exists on the left. I get emails from Chuck Schumer's office almost every day as a member of the press 
talking about yeah. the press conference they're going to hold that day and the topics that they're going to talk about. And I never, yeah. ever see those press conferences show up on TV. But when I get, a, I get an email from Ted Cruz's office or Rand Paul's office or Mitch McConnell's office saying that they're going to hold a press conference, I always see those press conferences on TV. Yeah, so. we need to engage like, with some messaging, like simple, you know, simple bumper sticker, like you say, yeah. messaging. Well, this, this is, you know, what Tim Wise is suggesting is kind of the simplest of all, which is Trump is a racist. That's not who we are. Yeah. You know, we're better than that. We're, you know, we're a nation that has, that has and has to set aside racism. We need to reject racism. We need to point out that these racists are doing violence to the United States and not just literally violence, but also violence to democracy, to the idea of democracy. They are fundamentally anti-small-D democratic. Horacio, or Horatio in Los Angeles. Hey, what's up? Can somebody tell this president, so-called president, that he is the commander-in-chief and our military is made out of minorities? And if he wants us to fight Iran, some of these minorities are going to be fighting, worried that their parents may be deported because they were waiting for their, for their time to go to court? Can oh, yeah, Trump has already deported a number of veterans. Yeah, but again, but he's going to want us to go fight for it? I mean, it's just incredible. <laughs> I mean... I'm just saying that he forgot that he is the commander of chief of a, of a minority military, and I wish somebody would uh, explain it to them. Have you been Can in I the military, Horatio? Uh, no, but my brother came back from the first Iraq war, and uh -huh. boy, he was never the same. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he doesn't talk. He's barely oh, yeah. talking now, but hey, that's thing. Can I say something about the, the, the four women? Yeah, you've got... I'm sick and tired of seeing our minority sisters having to apologize to a bloated white man. So, uh, no, I'm with them 100%. And when is Israel going to apologize for the 35 sailors that they killed? When is Israel going to Yeah, let's, let, let's not turn this into an Israel screed uh, here. You know, Horatio, you, I'm sorry, you had me there for a minute. But the, the, uh, the United States of America, this is, this is us. This is us, and Trump is our problem. You know, Netanyahu is Israel's problem. <laughs> Let them deal with his with him. So just to uh, very quickly speak to uh, Doug from Hamul's uh, comment that all the violence is coming from the left, the Anti-Defamation League, and this is... There are no shrinking violence. They run the Center on Extremism, and they look at extremist violence in the United States, left, right, everything else. And uh, this is from uh, the Huffington Post, from a piece over at Huffington Post. Anti-Defamation League's Center on Extremism found that domestic extremists took the lives of at least 50 people in 2018, up from 37 in 2017. Last year was the fourth deadliest for extremist attacks since 1970, and, quote, every single extremist killing in 2018 had a link to right-wing extremism. End quote. The FBI reported a 17% jump in hate crimes in 2017. We don't have statistics for 2018 yet. Uh, the far right accounted for 73% of extremist murders in the United States over the 10-year period from 2009 to 2018, compared to 23% by Islamic extremists. And if you add 73 to 23, you get 96. The remaining 4%, I don't think any of them were lefties, frankly. They note right-wing terror ex extremists have been one of the largest, most consistent sources of domestic terrorist incidents in the United States for many years. They have murdered hundreds of people in this country over the last 10 years alone. To date, there has not been any known Antifa-related murders, not one. 
and then they go through you know some of the details so check your numbers check your facts you're listening to tom hartman you know, we look at these uh, tech CEOs and these guys who are, I mean, literally, look at Elon, Elon Musk, you know, he's building rockets to go to Mars and the moon and stuff. Um, a lot of that technology is, is pretty cool, but what if you could apply it to something that's like every, you know, part of everybody's life? How about sleep? Well, it's happened. The new product is called The Pod. It's by a company called 8sleep, E-I-G-H-T sleep.com is their website, slash Tom, if you want to get the whole thing. And it's the ultimate sleep machine. The Pod is the first and only high-tech bed designed to help you achieve peak mind and body performance. You want to sleep deeper? It automatically, dynamically adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed. You and your partner have different temperatures. Want to know your sleep intel? The pod tracks your biometrics and your partners while you sleep with no need for wearable technology. Want to sleep better? You can enjoy personalized programs and coaching designed by experts guiding you toward true sleep fitness. Because the better you sleep, the better you everything. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup only at 8sleep.com slash Tom. For a limited time, you get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash Tom. Or they've already sold out their first two batches, a brand new product. They're going fast. You give them a shout. Check it out. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash T-H-O-M. Ed in Long Beach, California. Hey, Ed, what's up? Well, I'd like to uh, talk about Stephen Miller. Did you see his, or do you hear the uh, interview on Fox? I didn't. I was Fox flying News? home from L.A. yesterday when that happened, and, and when it was being reported, I got, you know, it was a, just a, a long, wild day that I had yesterday. And But I did read about it this morning in the papers, uh, you know, in, in uh, the New York Times, I believe it was, and, and uh, I, you know, and I've, I've seen references to it. Uh, apparently, he was saying, like, Doug, you know, no, I'm not the racist, you're the racist. Well, yeah, uh, but what uh, what he's doing is that using his uh, his Jewish faith as a shield, which is what they're doing these days. And what I find ironic is he invokes his Jewishness, and uh, they don't say, "Well, wait a minute, you've been shunned by your own rabbi and your own family." And in fact, Trump really isn't speaking his own words. He's parroting the words of Stephen Miller. Well, I think they just very- think alike. I mean, Trump has been using racism his entire career. You know, he got busted by the federal government for refusing to, to rent in, uh, what was it, Brooklyn, well, to black people specifically. He put the letter C on their applications, meaning colored, so that they wouldn't be approved. Yes, yes. And he went to Roy Cohen on how to deal with that. And Roy yep. Cohen said, you sue the government. Right. And you attack them. The result of that lawsuit was that became Trump's M.O. to this day. Yep. So that's the ironic part. But I think that when it comes to ads on television, the Democrats in their attack ads should really focus on Stephen Miller because he's such a toxic character. Yeah, except the Stephen Miller's not up for re-election, you know, or any kind of election. But, uh, yeah, but he's, pointing he's out that Trump is speeches. bringing with him these unrepentant racists. Absolutely. Yeah. Frankly, you know, there's a lot of stories that I think the media is missing. You know, for example, how the guy who organized the Charlottesville rally, the, the hate rally, the Tiki Torch Nazi rally, 
told all the people before the rally an email that we, you know, you got to wear khakis and polo shirts so that you look all American. And then you have, uh, you know, Pence and, and a bunch of people from the Trump administration showing up down at the detention centers in Texas wearing khakis and polo shirts. And, you know, if that's not a shout out, I don't know what is. And the media is not even talking about this stuff. So spot on. Ed, thank you for the call. Lewis in Salisbury, North Carolina. Hey, Lewis, what's up? Hey, buddy, how you doing, man? Good. I tell you, wonderful show again. Thank you. You know, all this racism that Trump's uh, pulled up on America, you know, when I, I look at that, it's the same way with Charlottesville. I think that when that us scene uh, came into the news about his affiliation with Trump, I think that really hit a nerve because soon as that report came out the first thing he know to get everybody off of talking about that he jumped to racism yeah. he did it in charlottesville he's doing it now and matter of fact he did it with obama saying he, obama spied uh, on his uh, home or whatever right. because he wanted to change the narrative this is what this is but but sadly man what really gets me and I hear you talk about it, and I hear others talk against it as well. It, we need more white people. I mean, we need more white people to talk about this. And if they are Republicans, they need to go ahead on and vote Democrat for, to get this thing over with because they see this man is trying to destroy the future for our children. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Lewis. And it is tearing America apart. And that's, I, in my opinion, that's exactly what Trump wants. So, uh, Warren, thank you very much for the call. Chloe in uh, Tacoma. Hey, Chloe, what's up? Hi, this is the first time I've ever called, so hopefully I can do this quickly. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm uh, very concerned about Trump's continued distraction. Mm -hmm. Every time there's something solid that the American people should be listening to, he distracts them, deflects them, throws it back. It's like he's always trying to defend himself, and that's what he does. And I'm just thinking, you know, here's the Mueller testimony coming up this week. Yep. I'm just wondering what horrible thing he's going to do to create a distraction so that people don't watch and don't listen and don't hear. And that much. It will be interesting to see. You know, originally that rally that he had in, what was it, North Carolina, as I recall, last Wednesday, that was planned for the day right. that Mueller was supposed to testify. And they planned it that way to yeah. distract from the Mueller testimony. And he was just you oh, know, going to go out there and say something outrageous and reset the news cycle for the next day so the Mueller testimony would fade away. Um, I'm guessing that he will do the same thing all over again. And, you know, we're, right. you know, and the, the question is, will the media go chasing, you know, as he's throwing pieces of hamburger over his shoulder as he's riding this, this racist horse, um, and, and, and everything else, you know, will the media chase after it like, you know, obedient hounds or will they say, no, wait a minute, uh, you know, what Mueller had to say was actually news. We're going to cover that. We'll see. This is the Tom Hartman program. For our Tom Hartman book club excerpt today, we're reading from Ed Morales' new book, Fantasy Island, Colonialism, Exploitation and the Betrayal of Puerto Rico. This is from the first chapter. There was never any doubt that the United States wanted Puerto Rico for its own when it began a war with Spain near the turn of the 20th century. Cuba had been in the throes of independence war with Spain off and on since 1868, and the conflict that began in 1895 seemed ripe for the United States to capitalize on. The sinking of the USS Maine, an American naval ship destroyed by an explosion while moored just outside Havana, fueled American entry into the war. 
although there are conflicting theories about the source of the explosion, including the likelihood it was caused by a spontaneous internal fire. William Randolph Hearst's newspaper chain blew up the incident into the perfect catalyst for the United States to enter the conflict. When Theodore Roosevelt entered the fray with his army of rough riders, the whole affair came as no surprise to anyone who'd been paying attention to the lust U.S. government leaders and military had long expressed to expand southward and westward. And although the idea of manifest destiny was at the forefront of the political discourse of this period, it's less often observed that the United States' expansionist gaze was saturated with racial language and attitudes, at once desirous of and repelled by Latin America's mestizo mulatto social dynamic. The Haitian Revolution at the end of the 19th century and into the 20th created a U.S. obsession with both Cuba and Puerto Rico because of the potential of a similar black-led revolt on those islands. In 1826, Virginia Senator John Randolph feared that such a revolt would render the southern United States vulnerable to invasion from Cubans in rowboats. For this reason, he objected to the United States participating in the 1826 Panama Congress because American diplomats would have to endure the horror of a U.S. diplomat taking his seat in the Congress, quote, beside the native African, their American descendants, the mixed breeds, the Indians, and the half-breeds, without any offense or scandal at so motley a mixture, end quote. The logic driving this perspective underlined not only the importance of slavery to the emergence of capitalism in the 19th century, but also, as Matthew Karp points out in this vast southern empire, the extent to which slave owners and their elected representatives disproportionately shaped U.S. foreign policy. Going back as far as the Haitian Revolution, fear of a successful slave rebellion in the newly formed United States strongly motivated southern politicians. As Karp mentions, to that end, Presidents Madison and Monroe, quote, used overwhelming force to destroy black maroon settlements in southern Florida, end quote. Fear of slave rebellions also briefly united the interests of American slaveholders and Cuban elites who wanted independence from Spain, but in the late 19th century, after abolition, Roosevelt's forces fought in conjunction with Afro-Cuban armies against their common Spanish foe. The move to wrest Cuba and Puerto Rico from Spain came just as Spain had finally relented to end slavery as a concession to black rebel Cuban armies that had formed to push for independence. In a further move to placate continued unrest on the island, in November 1897, Spain signed automatic charters for Cuba and Puerto Rico, which gave limited home rule governments to both islands. Puerto Rico would gain full representation in the Cortes, the Spanish Parliament, and could veto Spanish commercial treaties unfavorable to them while also retaining the rights to set tariffs on imports and exports. In this way, Puerto Ricans were granted a kind of citizenship that allowed self-government grafted on what was left of their Spanish subjecthood. Yet in July, on July 25, 1898, eight days after the first meeting of the newly formed Puerto Rican Parliament, U.S. troops arrived in the southern port of Guanaca and replaced the Spanish flag with the Stars and Stripes. This date would be remembered over 50 years later when the United States finally followed through on a project to allow Puerto Ricans to have limited autonomy and self-government. But at the time, it was the, both the end of Teddy Roosevelt's splendid little war and the beginning of the current quandary over what exactly Puerto Rico's new colonial master would do with the island. Although historians agree that there was no pre-existing plan for designating Puerto Rico's status, 
There was a general belief that Puerto Rico could be incorporated as a U.S. territory and probably would be. This led many to assume that it would follow a similar path to statehood as former territories like Florida and Louisiana. At the very least, it would, by acceding to military control, receive, quote, the advantages and blessings of enlightened civilization, end quote, as Puerto Rico's first military governor, Nelson A. Miles, declared three days after the landing at Guanaca. Because Cuba was so militarized during its wars for independence, the United States decided to allow it national sovereignty, thinking it could still exert considerable control over the economy because of existing business interests and a ready-made set of Cuban consumers who were already buying Ford Model Ts. But although Puerto Rico had experienced anti-Spanish uprisings in the mid-19th century, in 1898 they did not have nearly the same level of armed mobilization present. So the United States held on to it particularly because of its geographic location, which would provide the United States with a stronghold on the easternmost tip of the Caribbean. The book is Fantasy Island by Ed Morales. You know, for some people, under-eye puffiness is there all the time. For others of us, it just happens sometimes, you know, like when we don't have a good night's sleep. But whatever it may be, whether it's that or, you know, crow's feet or wrinkles or whatever, uh, what do you do? Well, what works is Plexiderm. And I'm not talking about days or weeks to work. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates under-eye bags and wrinkles from view in minutes. Did you hear that? In minutes. The science behind Plexiderm is incredible with clinical studies to back it up. If you look older and tired because of crow's feet, wrinkles, or under-eye bags, you can look younger in just minutes with Plexiderm. See for yourself. Watch a real video with real people and see how fast crow's feet, wrinkles, and under-eye bags disappear. Those results are backed up by Plexiderm's 30-day satisfaction guarantee. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use the coupon code TOM, T-H-O-M, for my discount. That's TryPlexiderm.com with the code TOM, T-H-O-M, or call 1-800-685-1292 and mention TOM. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Dell in South Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hey, Dell, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. First time uh, calling in. I just happened to be flipping through channels. This so-called president, I call him Dump Truck. Yeah. He doesn't realize that when he says send her back, is he talking about Melonia and her parents? Melania. And relatives yeah. at Melania yeah. that, that came over on his, on his arm? Right, Send or his back. first wife, Ivana. I mean, two out of three of his wives have been immigrants. So, Send I mean, you know, for that matter, Ivanka, Donald Trump Jr., and Eric are all the children of an immigrant, right? Should they go mm -hmm. back to? Should they go back to the country they came from, their mother came from? Yeah, they should. I don't think they should. I think that Donald Trump needs to stop talking like this. And I think the, yeah, the well, Republican Party needs to stop enabling conversations like this. But, he, I, you know, I, I get your point. He's an embarrassment to this country and the people who served before him, the people in the military. He is just, he's yeah. out there. Yeah, corporal bones. And these corporal Republicans bone are spur, so bone spurs. Yeah, no, I'm, so I'm with dumb you. And for being such good Christians, they don't act the part. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Dell, thank you. Clifford in uh, Altadena, California. Is that it? Do I have that right, Clifford? Yeah. How you doing, Tom? Good. What's up? Bad first time caller. Thank you. Tom, I'm 72 years old and I'm a black man, but I vote, I'm an independent voter and thinker. Why is it Donald Trump's running around the country saying how great the economy is? And it's good. Now, look, 
it's good. But the credit should go just as much to Barack Obama. He inherited a mess. Matter of fact, I remember Ford Motor Company CEO who didn't even, who Ford didn't, didn't even want the money to help him get out of the jam said, President Obama saved the automobile company industry. Uh, President Obama does not get credit for nothing. And, uh, what is wrong? President Obama saved the world economy. Yeah. And he doesn't get credit. We had the, uh, the Obama uh, recovery, yeah. By the way, there have been no quarters so far where Trump's numbers have yet achieved, depending on pretty much any metric you want to use except the unemployment rate, where Trump's numbers have not achieved the peak Obama numbers. What has happened to this country? I don't even recognize America. Yeah, I know. I think what's coming out, Clifford, is what was always there but was kind of under the rug. You know, we peeled the rug back and out came Trump, out came all his white racist buddies. And now we're getting to see the, yeah. the, you know, the dirt under the rug, I mean, basically. But the problem is that as they go public in a big way like this, they also go evangelical. Trump is indoctrinating a whole new generation of young people who are going to become the Hitler youth. They're going to become the next fascists. And, you know, we're already seeing it in all these movements, these right wing movements. I'm stunned. I served my country eight years in the United States Air Force. I, I sometimes I sit up and cry. Trump, uh, Rush Limbaugh, the, the Utah Senator, they just got it. I guess, yeah, Mike Rom- Lee. Romney. They didn't oh, serve. Romney. Yeah. No, no. It's, uh, you know, it's they're all, they're, they're all these chicken hawks. Clifford, I got to run, but thank you for the call. You said it very well. On a Sunday shows this weekend, they had a whole bunch of Trump administration officials on. Mike Pence said Trump, quote, might make an effort, end quote, to speak out against racist chants. Mercedes Schlapp pointed the fact that Trump's policies have focused on the minority community, right? I mean, this is his, uh, his press person. He's a compassionate man whose policies have focused on the minority community. Yes, they're putting them in cages. And Stephen Miller, who was the guy who's the architect of a lot of these Trump policies, he claimed that Trump made clear that he doesn't condone his racist supporters chanting, send her back. You know, apparently there's there's more and more reports that this was actually, this chant was rehearsed before the rally really started. And then you've got Republicans, Kevin McCarthy saying, oh, it's really about socialism versus freedom. And Mike Kelly of Pennsylvania, I mean, these guys just twisting themselves in knots. 59% of Americans disagree with what Trump said, including 44% who strongly disagree. So we'll see where this goes. But boy, we live in interesting times, as they say. David in White Plains, New York. Hey, David, you want to talk about Voltaire? Yes. What's going on now makes me think of Voltaire's quote, if you can get people to believe in absurdities, you can get them to create atrocities. Hmm. And I think Charlottesville is indicative of an atrocity. I think the death threats not being called out in the news on on the four congresswomen is an atrocity. And, you know, I found it remarkable that the professor you had on didn't mention at all the Indian genocide in the United States. It's probably one of the biggest genocides in the world. It is the largest genocide in the history of the world. Between 50 and 100 million Native Americans were slaughtered over a 400-year period. And it was the official policy, first of Great Britain and the British East India Company, and then the official policy of the United States. The president who was most aggressive about this was Andrew Jackson. His nickname was the Indian Killer. And his picture is the one that Trump chose to hang in the, in the Oval Office. Trail of Tears and all that. Yep. Um, yep. Do, I, was I think Jackson. in India, I can't, couldn't find it on Google, but I, I remember an Indian 
superintendent saying that we don't we don't fight Indians because they're Indians. We fight them because they're socialists. Jeez. I don't even know what to do with that one. But, yeah. Thank you very much for the call, David. Maverick in Edmonds, Washington. Hey, Maverick, what's up? Tom Hartman, nice to uh, talk with you again. And I got to say thank you so much for taking the extra minute to shake my hand at the end of your uh, book tour at uh, Town Hall Seattle. You're uh, it might have been just another handshake to you, but it meant a lot to me, Tom. I'll, thank I'll you. never forget it. So what's um, up? I wanted to really quick tell a little story about racism and a concept. Uh, I was uh, seven years old in 1972, living on the south side of Chicago in a, uh, a very divided neighborhood. And I had a little boy over that was playing in my sandbox with me. I was a little red-haired kid, and this was a little black kid. And uh, we were playing in my sandbox, and uh, my next-door neighbor came over into the yard and screamed the most horrible things at this child. And he ran home crying, and I never saw him again. Oh and uh, it it absolutely horrified me. I was seven years old, maybe six. I didn't really know how to interpret it, but it made me feel really just ugly. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting all choked up thinking about it right now. Anyway, uh, fast forward to about 30 years. I'm taking an anthropology course in college, and there was a teacher that told me that there's only one race. Uh, it's It's us. And I thought, well, that was an interesting concept. So... I've been substituting the words bigotry and prejudice for race uh, whenever it fits into conversation. And I'm kind of anti-use of the word race because, it, to me, it perpetuates a concept that may not exist. And certainly, It's a, it's a social construct, Maverick, but it's a social construct that is so real and so deep and so, so foundational to even the creation of this country that we can't make it go away by refusing to acknowledge it. That actually helps out a lot, those, uh, the, calling it a social construct. That, well, that's what that it is. Race, race is that, not a, a scientific thing. It's a social construct. That gives, that gives me some clarity there. Thanks. Yeah. I You're appreciate welcome. that. Tom. Thanks a lot for the call. Have a, Good talking have a great to you. day. Yeah, thank you. And it was nice meeting you in Seattle. Thanks for, for dropping by. Tom Hartman here with you. Just uh, retweeted Tim Wise's thread in the event that I uh, neglected to do so earlier, and somebody tweeted me saying, hey, I didn't see it. So maybe I did, maybe I did miss that. Uh, Mark in San Diego. Hey, Mark, what's up? Hi, Tom. I'm a little bit angry. I, can, I am absolutely baffled by all this hand-wringing about how to beat Trump in the next election. My God, you'd think we were going up against Franklin Roosevelt or something. I mean, the guy is the most unpopular president in American history, according to all the approval and poll numbers. He lost by 3 million votes the first time. 42% of the people didn't turn out to vote the first time. You think that's going to happen this time? Well, I mean, that's going to be a function. I, I think it's going to be a cakewalk, and it should be a cakewalk in any normal country. What kind of Facebook ad are you going to put together to target blacks and Hispanics to get them to vote for this guy? I, I just think I can tell you. it's a much hand-wringing about... I can tell you it's happening right now, this Mark. This guy should be... Right, right, right now, the Trump campaign is targeting African-Americans with ads saying that Democrats want open borders so more Hispanic people can come in and take jobs away from black people. That's happening. They're also targeting Hispanic people who are almost universally Catholic with ads saying that, you know, Democrats want to kill babies even after they're born. And the Democrats are more in favor of African-Americans than they are Hispanics. They're trying to create conflict between African-Americans and Hispanics and aggressively 
in order to push people to Trump and say, you know, Trump is the guy who's going to stop the hordes of Hispanics from coming in, protect your jobs, black Americans. That's exactly well, what's going on right now. I, I, I just can't believe how, how, how stupid you have to be to believe that. Adam. I, mean, I don't I, think I just, you yeah. I don't think this is a matter of stupid or not stupid. I think this there's a large matter of informed or uninformed. But and and that you know has to do with two things. Number one, we've got a media that is not serving us, frankly. And number two, uh, you know, Reaganomics has so devastated the American working class that people are working two and three jobs to have the lifestyle that they had 40 years ago with one full-time job, sometimes even one part-time job. And the result of that is that people don't even have time to watch the news. Well, let me ask you this question, Tom. If, let's say back in 2012, let's say Obama had these numbers. Let's say he had a 43% approval rating and he had lost by like, 3 million votes in the previous election. Right. Do you think there'd be all this hand-wringing about him being reelected? They, they, the, all the pundits would say he doesn't have a chance. And yet, with the same numbers Trump has, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's a possibility he'd get reelected. No, I get, I get what I, you're I, saying, I and I, I think if you look at the raw numbers, there, there, there was a fascinating op-ed, and I talked about it on the, on the program last Friday. It was in last Thursday or Friday's uh, Washington Post. And the author of the op-ed, I think it was Tim Egan, but I could be wrong, starts out by pointing to Tom Friedman's hand-wringing piece from the Wednesday, as I recall, New York Times, in which Tom Friedman said that there's a very good chance that Donald Trump could get elected. And then this article was like, there's no way. And he was basically making the argument you're making. Then there was a piece on Friday that said the exact opposite, said, yes, Trump may well lose by 5 million people next time around. But if he can hold on to Wisconsin, there's a couple of, of battleground states that if he plays a pure electoral vote strategy, which is exactly what he's doing right now, I mean, they're not just targeting people with the messages that I was talking about. They're targeting them only in specific states. So that million dollars a day that they're spending on Facebook ads that are flying below the radar and are filled with lies, they have just like written off at least 20 states. They're not even bothering. And this article argued, and I think fairly persuasively, that there's a very good chance that Donald Trump could win, even though he will lose by 5 million votes this time. So yeah, I read that article. I don't I think we can take article, any yeah. of this for granted, Mark. I, I, I think we have to be, it was the old saying, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. We've got to be vigilant. Anyhow, Mark, I need to move well, along. I, but thank you for the call. Okay. Gwendolyn in Rialto, California. Hey, Gwendolyn, what's up? I just want to comment on that uh, guest you had, the speaker, Julia Rivera. Julio, and I spoke yeah. with you last week in regards how how people of color have continued to support Trump with the thought, with the fact that they don't realize that he's emboldening the same group of people like the neo-Nazi, white supremacist, etc., and the racist people who are coming after them. And this Julia Rivera Yeah, let's, let's not personalize this, Gwendolyn, to, to Julio. He's not here to defend himself, and it's just really not to, to attack him when he's not. But if you want to make a general point, well, I think you, did, I think you just did make your general point. Yeah, and, and well said. Thank you. Karen in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Hey, Karen, what's up? The one thing I think the Democratic candidates need to do in the 2020 election, if they want to be smart about this, is I think they need to start appealing to the people to go back to the roots of their spiritual foundations and their spiritual teachings. Because this administration, they have no regard for human life. They have no regard for planetary life, no regard for the rule of law, no regard for the Constitution. And it just blows my mind that people who supposedly have good religious upbringing and faith can support him. Yeah. 
Me too, and uh, what, what really amazes me is how the white evangelical community, the Jerry Falwell Juniors and all these guys, you know, Franklin Graham and others, how they've just like bonded themselves to Donald Trump at the hip when he has got to be the most anti-Christian, unchristian, unchrist-like, unchrist-following politician, frankly, uh, beyond just president that I've ever seen. So I, I think your point is well made. Picking up your calls on the events of the day and of the week here. Eric in Seattle. Hey, Eric, what's on your mind today? Yeah, to me, this isn't about race with the Trump tweets. I think it's more about money and power, and Trump will use whatever he wants. In other words, he's using race to acquire power? Well, yeah, but my question is, why is Pelosi also attacking these four and other Democrats? To me, it seems like sunshine, you know, the best is affected, and if they get their message out, expose the kind of the corporate side of the Democrats. He almost set them up and then Trump knocked them down. Well, what happened with Pelosi, and I think as the media tends to do, has been blown way out of proportion, is the chief of staff for one of these four women, and I forget which one it was, it may be AOC's chief of staff, 33-year-old guy, Mm -hmm. tweets out something basically trashing the New Dem Democrats or, you know, the Blue Dog Democrats, the conservative Democrats. And Mm -hmm. Pelosi's response is, uh, A, saying, do you realize that somebody is essentially speaking on your behalf and trashing your colleagues? And B, if you or anybody on your staff want to trash your colleagues, please run up by me first, because we've got a bigger fish to fry here. We've got some real serious issues, and we can't have our caucus be fractured. He has not since tweeted anything trashing conservative Democrats. And that was supposed to be the end of the story. It was not a big deal, but the media turned it into a big deal. And frankly, Pelosi is now saying, okay, uh, Trump is over the top here and I'm not gonna put up with it. So she's introducing a resolution to condemn Trump for his racist activities in the last couple of days. I think frankly, the definition, and I just tweeted this just a minute ago, the definition of high crimes, if you look in your legal dictionaries, the definition of high crimes as used in the Constitution is abuse of office or abuse of power. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to actually fit under U.S. code. It doesn't have to violate any actual statute. It is abuse of office. And if this is not abuse of office, I don't know what is. You know, what Trump has done and what Trump has said, and Eric, thank you for the call. I think what Trump has done and what Trump has said is entirely an impeachable offense. Lori yeah. in Marble Hill, Missouri. Hey, Lori, what's up? Hey, yes, I agree that I don't think the Republicans are going to fold. I think they're going to enable him because their agenda is being worked out right now. They're dismantling the EPA today as we speak while everybody else is talking about his racism. That permit process, do you know about this? No. The permit process, just before the judge, that big corporation has brought before the courts that anybody who disagrees with the permit process for polluting their towns is off the table. They're going to they're gonna take that away, our rights away, from stopping this permit process from going through. In other words, they're going to do away with public, public commentary on, on policies? Yes, absolutely. And they're doing it right now. Yeah, I'm not and surprised And I always at all. wonder when he comes out and throws out this outrageous stuff... What is really happening? What is he really doing? He's really...
Yeah. Oh, he's tearing the government apart. And it's not just that. It's banking regulations. It's public lands. It's everything. Laurie, thank you for the call. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the Fred chart on the purchasing power of the dollar and look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-OWN-G-O-L-D. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Kim in Laurel Hill, Florida, says here you disagree with me. So you go to the front of the line. What do you disagree about? Yeah, we're talking about the woman commenting earlier about Trump making a racist comment toward those women. Yeah. I don't think that's racism. Just because he disagreed. I think the, the Democrats use the race card every moment every second of the day so you're saying democrats use racial hatred to motivate voters everything that somebody says is not racist no what's the example of democrats using the race card when you let me finish no i'm not going to let you finish you're not answering my question kim that's that's the end of it i'm sorry telling people of color to go back to the country you came from is classic american racism every person of color has heard this or most at some point in their lives this is just classic racist stuff paul in woodenville washington hey paul what's on your mind yeah tom your uh your caller kim from florida is a perfect setup for my point uh, what she says democrats using the race card is actually democrats taking trump's race bait and taking trump's race bait is the kiss of death and will lead to democratic defeat this Donald Trump is trying to make this all about hating him, and anybody who follows him down that rat hole will lose. I'm sorry, there are many wise sayings. I'll repeat a few. One is, only an idiot argues with a fool. What's the difference? A fool is an actor and a comedian. An idiot is a stupid person who argues with that fool, that comedian and actor. How about uh, when you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. You wrestle with hogs, you get muddy. That's what he wants, and when you get people emotionally upset, they are physiologically incapable it's it's been proved psychologically you cannot hear rationality when you're upset emotionally as that woman was she will never hear anything about democratic policies when she thinks that she's being called a racist because uh whatever the issue is makes her feel one way or another about her views on race and i gotta tell you tom Kamala Harris may have gotten a bump in her exchange with with Joe Biden, but it was a colossally stupid thing to do to bring up the issue of busing, which is almost 50 years old. And by the way, she was wrong, because what Joe Biden should have said is not, I'm sorry, I was wrong. He should have said, it wasn't only me who was against busing. Everyone was against busing. White families were against busing. Black families were against busing, and every kid was against busing. And that was the era when I was starting high school, Tom, in 1974. 
this is when I got interested in politics, keeping track of what was going to happen in Milliken versus Bradley, because I was born and raised in Detroit, and my school district was one of the 53 districts that might have had to bust. So the question for me was, am I going to be able to go to Franklin High School, which was a five-minute walk from my house, get up at 6 in the morning, all four brothers get up, use one bathroom, get ready for school, or was I going to have to get up at 4.30 in the morning so I could be down at Same Set High School's parking lot to get on a bus and be bused 40 miles across town? It's just a rotten, stinky thing to do to kids, and it doesn't help anybody's school. So that's the way to fix school, to shuffle kids around. And to bring this up, if she was going to continue that strategy, she's going to be going down that rat hole with Trump, and that's a loser, and it's not talking about rationality and policy that the Democrats want to talk about. I don't disagree that it was a cheap shot, but that the larger question here, I think, right now, Paul, is will Trump's unhinged rants, and I think that there might be something to be said about the Palmer Report's suggestion that this is, he lost his census thing, he lost Alex Acosta, Jeffrey Epstein, now it's coming out that there are tapes and recordings, and you know, apparently Epstein, it's entirely possible that a lot of his money is from blackmailing people. Is Trump among those people? That might have something to do with why Bill Barr first recused himself and then unrecused himself the next day as soon as it came out that there were the pictures. Trump had these, you know, three big defeats. And so he goes nuts embracing racism and xenophobia. Will the Republican Party be strengthened by this or weakened by this? I think that to try and say the Republicans are racist by silent consent, you notice they're not touching his racist stuff and they're just staying away from it. Because if they did, if any Republican were to say, hey, that's crossing the line, that's racism, he would attack them. Then he'd have them. Oh, sure. He took down Jeff Flake. He's in the process of taking down Justin Amash. He took down Bob Corker. And and Jeff Flake, you you brought those names up. So exactly. They're not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. But he's the leader of their party. That's right. I mean, they can't escape that. We can't change that. We need to focus on what we're going to do as Democrats, not what the Republicans' problems are. Right. Yeah. Okay. Paul, thank you. Um, Trump is going nuts. Will the Republican Party now flee from him or will they embrace him now that he's taken the Southern strategy and put it right out in the open? Right. He has taken Nixon's Southern strategy. He's taken, you know, Reagan, the first official speech that Reagan gave was in Philadelphia, Mississippi, or just down the road from there, the place where three civil rights workers were brutally murdered. They made a movie out of it, Mississippi Burning, Schwarmer, Goodman and Cheney were the three civil rights workers. That was dog whistle. That was referred to as dog whistle, giving a speech about states' rights, you know, to an all-white audience where there was a murder of civil rights workers. I would say every Republican candidate, frankly, uh, certainly every Republican president since Nixon has been campaigning on racism, but they've been doing it subtly, or at least in a way, you know, it's fairly obvious to, I think, the majority of black people what they're up to. And And you've seen the electoral swing, partisan swing, as a consequence of that. But it wasn't obvious to a lot of white people until now. So will the Republican Party be so shocked by this that they walk away from Trump? Or will they be so invigorated by the idea that, hey, it's easy to win elections just by cranking up white hatred? Tom in Durham, North Carolina. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. Sure. What would have happened if there had not been an American Revolution and we had stayed with the UK? or Great Britain, and would we have ended up being kind of like Canada is? 
I mean, Probably. would we have eventually gotten our independence? Would we have ended slavery much earlier? You know, Canada got its independence from in uh, 1867. I know it's part of the yeah. Commonwealth, but I was just curious about that. It's just sort of an interesting... David Swanson wrote a remarkable book called War is a Lie. And this book so changed my perspective on war, frankly. And he just goes through every war that the United States has been involved in and, and says this war was not necessary, including World War II, which shocked me. But his take on the Revolutionary War was that at that point in time, we were in the process of basically becoming like Canada, that is a separate independent nation with a cultural and nostalgic tie to the United Kingdom. And that the Revolutionary War was largely unnecessary. And that at a certain level it was being fought as much over... Actually, he, his argument is fairly complex, but it's a good one. So I encourage you to check it out. But it's a great question, Tom. And, and, but check out David Swanson's book, War is a Lie. Thank you for the call. So we just put up a new member-only video talking about Donald Trump being a racist and how we're all dancing around there, or at least the media. By we, I'm talking about the media that I'm a part of, I suppose. And for that matter, in Congress, I mean, you know, with this House resolution to condemn Trump's racist tweets, they couldn't condemn Trump as a racist. That would have been a violation of House rules. But his tweets, oh, we'll condemn them, right? This is the same guy who said, and I quote, laziness is a trait in blacks, end quote. He said, quote, immigrants from Haiti all have AIDS, end quote. He said, if Nigerian immigrants came here, they would, quote, never go back to their huts, end quote. Referred to asshole countries. He lied about Obama repeatedly. Anyhow, let's just call out his racism. All the examples are in the video, and I think you'll find it fascinating. It's available over at TomHartman.com, so check it out. So uh, welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, Ellen Ratner's new book. On the line with us, Doug Christian with Talk Media News. Hey, Doug, what's up? All right. We've got a budget deal that is quite a budget buster. And conservatives who used to be budget hawks are A, outraged, and B, supporting it. So take your pick. Well, I got an email from FreedomWorks earlier in which they're, FreedomWorks, of course, the Koch brothers' big you know, front group, in which they're saying that Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan are going to fight this thing to the, you know, the wholly owned subsidiaries of the Kochs in Congress, the heads of the Cokehead Caucus, what's it called, the Freedom Caucus, saying, you know, this is the squad, this is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, this is Nancy Pelosi, a liberal triumph. They're all hysterical about it. I think, frankly, because the billionaires are concerned that their taxes might go up. But on the other hand, I'm guessing that Trump is actually, and the Trumpettes, are very excited about it because it's a $320 billion increase in federal spending, which is going to stimulate the economy and keep this economy intact, at least until the election. What do you think, Doug? That's absolutely true. And he's most worried short term about making sure that he wins the 2020 election. And it is funny because I actually did run into Mark Meadows in the hallway during the run up to the tax cut. And I asked him, I said, I thought Republicans were for 
fiscal responsibility. How is this tax cut actually supporting the fiscal responsibility? And he said, actually, it will lower the deficit. That's what he said to me. And I have that on tape. Yeah, right. That's the old Reaganomics argument is, you know, tax cuts pay for themselves. But every single time it's been tried, it's failed. And in fact, Kansas, I mean, Sam Brownback said, we're going to do an experiment in our state. And he radically cut taxes. And two years, three years later, they had to raise the taxes again because their school systems were gutted. That's exactly right. Yeah. Of course, Tom Franks wrote about that brilliantly in his yes. book, What's the Matter with Kansas? Yeah, and, and of course, the continuing contratips with the squad, that continues, because mm-hmm. of course, it is a great election strategy for this president. And of course, the squad is making it easier for him, A, when Democrats support health care for undocumented immigrants or go for Medicare for all. We're about six out of 10 Americans do not support that. Right. It seems from the surveys, and I think it's going to get, I think you're going to see these numbers change even in a more conservative direction once the ad season begins, particularly when the Koch brothers weigh in. It seems that a transition to single-payer health care that still allows for the existence of private health insurance companies is important. I mean, Canada banned private health insurance companies, and then they allowed them back in about, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, number one. And Healthcare for immigrants. This kind of baffles me because, you know, I would think even a billionaire like Donald Trump, if he's going to be in a public area, maybe he just never goes out in the public. But if you're going to be walking down the street and the guy next to you is coughing, given that New York right now is having a tuberculosis crisis, you want to make sure that person has health care, whether they're an undocumented immigrant or not, so that they don't infect you. I mean, isn't that a simple argument or is that something that? is, you know, it's just never going to make any sense to anybody. That is a simple argument, but the thing is, is that poll numbers are are critical in Washington, D.C., more so than logic. And so if, if, and that's why, by the way, you'll see um, people who were never Trumpers in the Republican Party saying, oh, we'll support him now, because they're looking at their own re-election prospects. Yeah. And they're seeing what happened to Mark Sanford when he uh, dared to stand well, up. Well, to, to what extent, Doug, do you think that it's not so much that they're afraid of Trump taking them down in the general as they're afraid of getting a primary challenger and that once the primary, primary season's over, they may start throwing Trump over the bus or off the bus or whatever the phrase is, under right. the bus. Yeah, and in fact, Bob Corker would not have left the Senate had he not felt that there was going to be a, a primary challenge to him. Right, same with Jeff Flake. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that they are still still mortally scared of that, and they haven't shifted from that. And of course, what we're looking forward right now to is the Mueller testimony that's going to happen starting at 8.30 Eastern time tomorrow morning. Yeah, and we'll, we'll be playing that live here. Doug, I'm sorry, we're hitting the end of the show, but Doug Christian with Talk Media News. Great talking with you, Doug. Tomorrow, Jefferson Smith will be in, filling in for me as Louise and I go off on our listener cruise. So we're going to have, you know, I think I'm looking forward to a good time. And I'll bring you back all the stories. And but Jefferson's going to, you're going to be in great hands. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It really is. And it requires all of us. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you, we'll, I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.